Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 starts with the gospel, which is inextricably connected to the resurrection found in verses 1 through 4. This was the gospel, which was preached immediately upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit, as described in Acts chapter 2. It had never changed. It is exactly the same today as when it was preached by Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, and Paul. An essential part of the gospel is the certainty of the resurrection, which is emphasized in this week's passage found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 49. Please follow along with Pastor Jim as he teaches today's slice of this week's message entitled, How Are the Dead Raised? We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You might notice on our notes a big, long chunk for us, but it's a unit of thought. Actually, it connects one thing to another, but uh, we're going to see it all this morning. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is one of those references you should remember because it's the chapter to go to on one subject. If you want to study the subject of resurrection, you're going to anchor yourself in 1 Corinthians 15. Obviously, there's a lot more about resurrection in the Bible, but this is the one. Uh, For all the times that uh, man-made chapter breaks are frustrating, well, whoever did the chapter breaks nailed this one. It is as logical as it can be. The chapter starts with the gospel, which is inextricably connected to the resurrection. By the time you arrive at 1 Corinthians, the gospel has been fully unveiled and defined. When John the Baptist preached the gospel, gospel means good news, it was the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins in light of the imminent arrival of the King of the kingdom of heaven and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as John introduced him. We're told that Jesus also preached the good news. That was the good news, that the king is here, and the kingdom was offered to Israel at that time. They rejected. Jesus was crucified and rose again, and the the final touches of the gospel were unveiled just as he had promised. Every time we visit this chapter, we have to read the first four verses to understand that everything that gets us to heaven is tied to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. This is what I was preaching when I came to you. It's the gospel that I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This was the gospel that was preached 
immediately after Jesus arrived. When the Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2, it's what Peter preached. Christ died for our sins. He rose. There's the, there's the empty tomb over there. Go, go, go check it out. It's exactly the same gospel that was preached by Peter, by James, by John, by Philip, by Stephen, by Paul. There is no other gospel than this one. Paul understood that he was late to the party, if you will, not late as in tardy, but his apostleship came after that of the original 12. His apostleship came with a special purpose attached that God had called him to preach primarily to Gentiles, to take that gospel to the Gentiles. That's apparently why Paul worked so hard to make sure that there was a seamless connection between his ministry and that of the other apostles. God used, not Paul, but Peter to reach the first group of Gentiles. He used Peter, the the one who had done most of the preaching in the early days in Jerusalem. He used Peter to announce the end of the dietary laws that, that played a big role in separating Jews from Gentiles. The Jewish Christian leaders of the church at Jerusalem, meeting along with the apostles... They held what we refer to as the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, where the gospel that Paul had taken to the Gentiles in his first missionary journey had been challenged, and they unanimously affirmed the one and only gospel message, and they gave some very wise advice about how Jews and Gentiles, now united in Christ, can connect and serve as one body, despite their different backgrounds and their different cultures. The end of that first paragraph in chapter 15, verse 11, affirms that Paul was saying this is the gospel. This is the only gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 11. He says, whether it was I or they, the antecedent of they is the other apostles. We all preach the same thing. So we preach and so you believe. The word so ties you to Verses 3 and 4, the definition of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again, that he was buried the third day, that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, since we finished that paragraph, we took a side trip. We surveyed all 101 occurrences of the word gospel in the New Testament. We saw how it was progressively unfolded until we have now the gospel exactly as defined in verses 3 and 4. Then in verses 12 through 19, we saw Paul ask and answer the question, What if there is no resurrection? Well, you're in a mess. And then last time, Wednesday night, we studied the resurrection plan in verses 20 through 28, that the resurrection of Christ is the, the pledge of your resurrection, that it's the proof of your resurrection, and that it was a pivotal step in the, the unfolding of the, the plan of redemption for all the ones that God will bring to Christ. Now we move to the final segment of the certainty of the resurrection, And a fascinating description of the nature of the resurrected body that you will one day occupy for eternity if you belong to Christ. Uh, It's a long passage, but we do best to drink it in one gulp so we don't bog down along the way. So, very simple outline today. We're going to finish up the certainty of resurrection in verses 29 through 34. Then we'll talk about the nature of resurrection in verses 35 to 49. We begin with the certainty of the resurrection. And in verses 29 through 32, the point is people do very important things. People even do dangerous things, if you will, life-threatening things 
because of the resurrection of Christ. People do these things because of their their confidence in the resurrection that he promises. And he's going to give you two examples in these four verses. A baptism for the dead and risking one's life. Now, before we can dive into the big gulp of the lengthy passage, we have to process a a notoriously difficult uh, verse, one that is a battleground on several fronts. 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Now, remember, it's connected to the context. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? I've studied this at length. Uh, I have found, depending on how you count and how much you overlap them, there are between 30 and 40 different interpretations of 1 Corinthians 15, 29 that you can find in commentaries. Um, Some of them are absolutely bizarre. Some of them are a little bit bizarre. Some of them are a little bit reasonable. And it's, in many cases, always tough. But some of the more prominent ones are that this has to do with vicarious baptism to benefit people who died unsaved and unbaptized. So, you know, uh, Uncle George didn't get baptized, so I'm going to go get baptized for Uncle George and try to dropkick him into heaven if I can. I don't think they use the word dropkick. Or some say it is baptism to secure reunion with Christian relatives after death. Well, you might see your relatives after death. I'm not sure baptism is going to get there, get you there. Baptism uh, can be done, they say, for someone terminally ill who can't be physically baptized. And so, well, he's good as dead and he can't make it into the tank, so I'll go get baptized for him. There's another one that says it's baptism prompted by the testimony of the dead. Prompted by the, in other words, I've believed because of the testimony of the one who went before me and died because of the faith. And then there's a, there's a bevy of esoteric ideas about baptism washing away deadly sins or baptism to express oneness with dead believers or baptism simply to confess the belief in resurrection of the dead um, because baptism is a symbol of death and resurrection a la Romans chapter 6. Like I say, there's, there's 30 or 40 interpretation. The one you have most likely heard of is the practice of some of our friends and neighbors and maybe even family members who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, usually referred to as Mormons, though they've asked us not to use that name anymore and it's not going to work. They've been Mormons too long, uh, and I'll use that name, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way. They believe that by being baptized as a proxy, as a stand-in for dead people, especially dead loved ones, it provides those dead people another opportunity after death to believe in the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and get into heaven as they define it. It takes place in Mormon temples. One of them is less than two miles from where I'm standing right now. You likely have friends and neighbors and maybe family members who participate in it. Now, I want to give you some things to wrestle with as you consider this verse. We're going to spend an inordinate amount of time here, but don't worry. We'll get to the whole whole thing. One thing we can say about 1 Corinthians 15, 29 is whatever the meaning is, 
It has to fit the context. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.